The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. My first impression of the Shroud, then, is that, on the face of it, it would make sense to dismiss it as medieval forgery. But as I'm about to discover, there is more, a great deal more to this cloth than meets the eye. It's the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Yeah, it's one of those great mysteries. A 14-foot long linen cloth that has survived the centuries. A millennium, really, if you think about it. It bears an image of a man who had been tortured, bloodstained, scourged, crowned, crucified. Of course, I'm talking about the Shroud of Turin. And normally I talk about this post-resurrection because we know that there was a garment left in the in the tomb, right? And it's a mystery that really has survived the the you know, the, as I said, the course of time. Only with technology have we been able to unlock some of the mystery of what many people believe, and I think legitimately so, the burial cloth of Jesus Christ. Uh, there are exhibits on the shroud. You know, they're showing up at parishes and shrines all around the country. You'll probably see it at Lent. I think it's a great thing to meditate before. I have the opportunity to see the shroud. Um, it was on display uh, several times. And on two different occasions, I was able to kneel before this blood-stained garment, this blood-stained linen, if you will. And I was next to a priest. His name was Father Michelanco, Father Seraphim Michelanco, who is a vice postulator for the cause of St. Faustina. And he said something that struck me, and I never forgot it, because I could feel a presence when I was kneeling there. He goes, if that is indeed the blood of Christ that soaked this garment, then you and I are doing adoration. I thought, man, it's pretty profound. It really is. Uh, it has been the center of a lot of scientific attention over the years, right? Uh, you probably remember very famously back in 1998, there was a photographer who took a, a picture of it and uh, found out that it was actually a photographic negative. Uh, not 1988, that's what I said, 1898. I mean, it was 100 years ago. It's a while ago. Um in 1889, when he was developing this, he looked down and he realized, whoa, <laughs> he couldn't imagine what he saw. You know, the shroud itself was a photographic negative. And as I said, as technology began to evolve, more mysteries became unlocked. Since then, all kinds of research has been conducted. The most controversial was in 1988 when scientists, uh, they gathered together from the British Museum, they cut pieces of it, and they said, let's date this thing. We'll use carbon-14 dating, and we'll see how old the shroud actually is. So three labs were contracted, and they got done with their process. You know, when they got done doing their evaluation, they had this big presentation. Three men in white lab coats marched into a press conference, dramatically wrote on a chalkboard the following numbers, 1260-1390. The years 1260 to 1390, and then they put a big exclamation point. In other words, what they found from their carbon-14 dating, the shroud was not the burial cloth of Christ. It's not 2,000 years old. No, it's a medieval forgery. It's a fake. Well, ever since then, the secular world has taken that to be the gospel truth. That's it. It's a fake. It's a fraud. Right? Uh, there's even a theory 
that it was the creation of Leonardo da Vinci, this genius, right? Da Vinci did it. Well, there's been further research done. In fact, a boatload of evidence that points to the fact that, hey, hang on. It is a whole lot older than we think. And I won't go in through the litany of things with you now. Maybe a little bit later in the show. We can talk about the pollen. We can talk about a whole lot of other things that they found on the shroud. And even why the carbon-14 dating was skewed. Why did we get that number? So <clears throat> there's now a group of scientists that's been working uh, on the shroud. And they put out a challenge. And this this is for anybody who wants to take it up. You want a million dollars, right? Here's a million-dollar challenge for you. If you can recreate the Shroud of Turin with all of the particular characteristics, if it's a medieval forgery, apparently they had the same technology you have, right? If you can recreate the Shroud, they'll give you a million bucks. Who wants to be a millionaire, right? You want to be a millionaire? Then go ahead. Create a replica of the Shroud. That challenge was put forth in 2022 to British scientists. No one took them up on it, of course. Now it's been extended to scientists here in the United States. And maybe you're a scientist who say, you know what, I'm going, to, I'm going to give it a whack. I don't believe this is the burial cloth of Christ. It's a fascinating story, and I thought today we'd talk about it. Talk about how possible that is or how impossible that is. Let's clear up the myth of carbon-14 dating. Let's look at this mysterious garment known as the Burial Cloth of Christ or the Shroud of Turin. And I'm enjoyed today by Myra Khan Adams. She's a media producer, conservative, uh, political and religious writer. And she's also the executive director of signfromgod.org ministry in the National Shroud of Turin, uh, Turin exhibit.org. And they're working right now on getting a national shroud exhibit in Washington, D.C. It's kind of an interesting effort. She joins me today. Myra, good to have you with me. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. Uh, and I, before we talk Shroud, let me ask you about the Shroud of Turin exhibit. What's going on there? You're going to have one in the States. I know that there's been replicas of the Shroud that have traveled around the country, even around the world. What are you hoping to do in, in D.C.? Well, what we're trying to do is build a permanent Shroud of Turin exhibit in Washington, D.C., in the city of museums in a city that attracts millions of people around the world every year, as well as national and, and local people and from all the corners of the world come to Washington, D.C. for a variety of reasons. We believe there should be a Shroud of Turin exhibit because this is, and what the name of our exhibit will be called, is the world's greatest mystery. For a whole lot of reasons, which some of them you alluded to, yeah. uh, but because it is the world's greatest mystery and it is the most studied yeah. artifact in the world, that it, there's an awe around it that um, people just are fascinated by it. And that fascination with the shroud has never been greater than it is at this moment in time. Interest in the shroud just keeps growing and growing. And as you alluded to, the 1988 carbon dating really put a squash on things. And yeah. that's a whole other story that has to do with uh, people that had agendas. And literally, when you said they, they took pieces and analyzed it, they took one piece yeah. from one of the top corners and cut that one piece into three pieces yeah. and sent it to different labs. And what they found out is that ultimately, 29 years later, when, when the actual research was 
was actually released. It took them 29 years to release the research. They wouldn't do it. And finally, when it was released, the results were found to be not homogeneous, to found to be unreliable, because that chalkboard you, re- you talked about, uh, they said the dates were 1260 to 1390, a big explanation mark. And they said that with 95% confidence, wow. which in fact was just, it was just reflecting their own agendas. They wanted it to be considered a fraud. They well, wanted well, to shut it down th- because they were atheists. Th- th- yeah, but, the, you know, to, to give the science some credit, I mean, that piece of garment that they cut, um, you know, it had been exposed to this, the shroud survived fires. It had been on display in, in places where smoke and other carbon could have easily infiltrated that. That was also an area that had been repaired. So the dating of that, uh, that one particular piece they took, and correct me if I'm wrong on that, but uh, clearly is going to be skewed, right? It didn't take it from the right. center of the shroud or some other area. Right. There were originally the protocols, which I violated every one of them, they were supposed to take it from different, different parts of the shroud, which, of course, they didn't. And they took it from the worst possible place. And again, that there is scientific evidence that the chemical makeup of the piece that they took was in fact different from the rest of the shroud. Yeah. So uh, if we know that is it's a complete bunch of you know BS, but it also, you know what happens with lies. Lies go around the world faster before truth can put on its pants. Well, this is a lie that has just gone on for decades and decades. And if you talk to someone that really doesn't know anything about the shroud, the first thing they'll say is, oh, isn't that fake? It's a fake, isn't that fake? And they look at me like, why do you waste your time with this? Because that, that is how pervasive this lie has been. And, and it, it is so irritating for people that, that actually know the shroud and know its mysteries are unexplainable. Yeah. And it's just unfortunate. You know what I find striking too is, okay, all right, the carbon-14 dating that they did came back with those particular dates, putting it in the Middle Ages. Um, it's not been retested. And there's other evidence on the shroud that would place it, uh, you know, back to Jericho, back to to Jerusalem, back to the place where Christ, you know, was crucified and ultimately died. Um, They find uh, pollen and dust, uh, plant and and flower residue on the on the uh, on the garment as well. What other evidence is there beyond carbon fourteen? And maybe you can expand on some of what has been found. That points to the fact that this this could be the burial cloth of Christ and, and dates to be about 2,000-plus years old. But you have to go back to the mysteries. Um, the first mystery is how did that image well, – how was that image formed? So at the top of the list yeah. is image formation, and that ties into you know, our challenge right. that uh, we're promoting with David Rolfe. Um, but, but that I get into that later, but for the most part, image formation is a major mystery. So when, when you say, oh, it has to be a middle ages fraud, then how did that middle ages quote unquote artist produce something that modern science has never been able to reproduce? So that number one like, tells you something. Number two, that I like to think is the second greatest mystery is what you mentioned earlier. Uh, we, we call it the photographic mystery. And as you said, it was in 1898 when the photographer Secundo Pia took a, took a picture, and he's in the dark room. Of course, most people have no idea what dark rooms are anymore. But anyway, he was in the dark room developing this picture. And what he finds is he looks at, he is just astounded because he knows he is seeing Jesus Christ like nobody has ever seen Jesus Christ. 
unless you had lived during that time. And the clarity of the image, it's black and white image. And then later it was determined that the shroud itself is a negative. And the image that most people think is the shroud, and we have to explain this all the time, that black and white image you see with the holy face, people think that's the shroud. No, that is not the shroud. That is the photographic image of the shroud that you cannot see with your naked eye. So that itself is is a mystery. So you have, I mean, just those two. And then you have the 3D, you have the 3D uh, information on a 2D image. It's like a topographical map. Uh, there is a whole huge list of mysteries. So you say, how is it possible that a quote-unquote Middle Ages forger could have done this when, first of all, photography wasn't developed for 500 years after the the date, the latest date that they're yeah. saying is 1390. Photography wasn't even developed. Those folks couldn't even imagine photography. So there's so much, there's so many ways you can yeah. debunk that carbon dating, but it is irritating that we always have to go back to that to defend the shroud. Yeah, so true. It's a, it's a tr- it's a travesty. It truly is. It, it really is. True. It's such a great point. It's such an awesome point. In fact, you know who the camera was not developed right uh, in 1260 or 1390. Uh, no one knew about negatives. So who would try to create a forgery at that time? for something in the future. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But you hit on something that really is the heart of what this this image is all about. You know, the scientists can debate a bunch of technicalities, but I think one fact stands out. Nobody could explain how this image got on a piece of cloth in the first place, even with modern technology. And I've said this before. It's impossible to inflect this image on imperfect fabric in a way that, look, there's no use of pigments. There's no type of artistic substance. It's not like Leonardo da Vinci painted this thing or, you know, used dyed or something. There's no distortion on the image. Um, You could not do this today with a laser, you know, without scientists detecting the technique. So I don't think anyone's going to win a million dollars, but... You know, it's it, to me that's the greatest mystery. Only a single layer of fibers is affected in a way that nobody can discern. How do you, you know, how do the experts that you work with, Myra, how do they believe the image was inflected on this garment? You know, again, one layer of fibers, no distortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know many people think there's a huge energy release, and I'm thinking that's the resurrection. But yes. bring me through it. Yes. Well, one. I think the most popular theory, and this particularly is espoused by um, Father Spitzer, yeah. who uh, goes does many lectures about this. Yeah. And it actually, I think, originally started with one of my team members, uh, Mark Antonassi. Um, and the theory is, and, and, Doc, and uh, Father Spitzer does give Mark Antonassi credit for this, yeah. um, that it's particle radiation that came up from within the body of Jesus and had this light burst and that light burst was so intense that it created this image but it did not harm the cloth you think of an energy burst that strong would have just poofed this linen but no it didn't poof the linen but it but it left this image and mark has always been you know, waving the flag, we need to test particle radiation. I mean, he just, he goes nuts about that. But I, I agree with it. I think it does need to be tested for particle radiation. Um, but so far, um, the the authorities in, in, in the Vatican, you know, have not allowed that. But uh, it, maybe someday it will be tested, because I really think it does need to be tested, because I think that would help answer the question. But that's the theory that um, 
I, th- I think it seems to be the most popular theory these days of how, in fact, that image was formed, because it does explain that there's an image, but the cloth you know, was not damaged. So that usually has to be some sort of heat uh, that is really connected with when something is formed. It's usually some sort of heat behind it. In this case, it was just a burst of energy. You think about it like, what's the beginning of Genesis? Let there be light. So in let there be light, that applies to uh, the first lines of Genesis, the first verses of Genesis, but it also applies to the Shroud of Turin. And then you think about the transfiguration, what happened there. He was glowing with light. So I think light is is definitely, uh, you know, one of those primary factors that uh, needs to be considered about how this image was formed. And it would make sense biblically. The whole concept of light, I'm fascinated by. Maggie was just saying to me, she's my producer here, um, when the sperm and the egg meet, there's, they often record this flash of light, uh, a spark of life. Um, also, I, you know, I, I think about the, you know, the resurrection itself. Um, I've had a number of guests on the show here uh, who talk about this incredible burst of, of energy, the, the light, and Christ is the, the light that pierces the darkness. When it comes to how the image was inflected onto this this garment, I, I, Maggie, I don't remember who our last shroud expert was. I speak to a number of them over the course of the the, the years. Um, he posited, you know, that yeah, I, I've always thought Christ levitated. You know, the body came off the slab because you know when we look at this shroud, you see the front and the back of uh, of the Lord, um, and perhaps disappeared. You know, he was. Burst of light and went into heaven, right, or, or descended to hell. However, however you want to see the the, the resurrection at that particular moment. Uh, but this other scientist posited that Christ actually, instead of you know being um, just just levitating off the slab, actually was upright, as though he was yes. standing. You remember who that is, uh, Maggie? Yeah, I just looked it I up. I do. Oh, she was on my team. Oh, oh my gosh, Dr. Gilavoy. Yeah, so so share share what he is. Uh, presenting or, or this is a relatively new theory as you know there's been a lot of theories out there uh, give me the theory of, of what or share his theory on on the resurrection and and how this image was ultimately uh, somehow in, inflected onto yes, the garment that gil gil wrote a book about it and um he you know he's a he's a great shroud scientist he's an expert um you know some people don't believe that theory uh but i mean basically the real difference is the way you think of of the image, you think of it as a as a horizontal image. So you think Christ is lying in the tomb, and then he, you know, made this burst of light, but he's still horizontal. But Gill believes that that he was um, he was vert- he was basically vertical. The way that um, I guess he was flat, and then he became vertical suddenly. I'm not exactly sure, um, you know, how he right. how it came right. to be the way he describes it. But Gill is one of my team members. I mean, I literally blessed to lead a, a group yeah. of uh, third besides myself, uh, I have 13 team members, and I think many of them have probably been on your show. Yeah. Uh, Gil Lavoie, Dr. Gil Lavoie is one of them. And I know you've had Russ Brio on yeah. also. I don't know who else you've had. Probably Barry Schwartz over the years. But um, we have you know, some of the leading shroud experts part of our group. Yeah. And not everyone agrees. I mean, that's the great thing yeah. about the shroud. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone has their own theories about different things. But um, what you cannot dispute, for the most part, is it's the world's greatest mystery, and we know the mysteries, and they're unexplainable. And the shroud is, in fact, an object that that hits people yeah. in in just different ways. Like you said, you were in Turin. I was 
I was there in Turin also yeah. in uh, the last two public displays. Yeah, me too. In 2010 and 2015. Yep. So I imagine those are the two times you were there. That's, that's true. And yeah, and it was it was quite remarkable to be standing in front of that because you know we see replicas all the time, yeah, of course, right. and the replicas are you know like the one we have at Catholic Information Center right now. We've had it there for over a year. It was produced by the folks in Turin, and it looks exactly like what you see. In, you know, if it does, if the shot does go on display again, I hope to see it again. But for the most part, it looks exactly like. You know, the replicas look exactly like what the shroud looks like. But when you stand in front of the shroud, you just can't even believe that you are, in fact, seeing what was created on Resurrection Sunday. And yeah. it just you just stand there in awe. And it's, it's just one of those events where I was fortunate to have seen it twice as you did, too. And it stays with you forever. Well, you know, when I, when I pray before the Lord, truly present in the Blessed Sacrament, there is a peace mm-hmm. and there is a presence I feel, right? I got that same sense before the the shroud, you know, and I know I know the church probably never definitively say this is the burial cloth of Christ. I don't know how we could ever prove that, but um, that that's what I encountered. That's what I experienced. My guest today, Myra Adams. If you want to join us, the number is triple eight nine one four nine one four nine triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. If you want to get in. Feel free to go ahead and do that. And I'll tell you what, Denise in St. John, Indiana, you're on deck. I'll take your call first. We'll take all your calls if you want to join us. We are taking a look at the Million Dollar Challenge. If you can replicate the Shroud of Turin, somebody apparently did it if it's a medieval forgery, right? I don't believe it is. This is divine. This is from heaven. This is a gift for all of us. Help fortify and strengthen our faith. Proof of the resurrection, if you will. But if you can... You can do this. There's a million dollars on the table. And we'll tell you a little bit more about it. I'll tell you about that million-dollar challenge when we come back. Uh, Myra will be with me, and we'll take your calls here at 888-914-9149. Don't go away. There's more straight ahead. Connecting you to the truths of your Catholic faith. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, you looking for a new job? How about one that offers opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society, not available in all states. The image is only on the surface fibrils of the cloth. These fibrils, which are on the order of the size or the diameter of a human hair, they, these are the fibrils that are twisted together to make threads. If you look, these fibrils are individually colored. They bear that, that color that is the body image at the microscopic level. Notice that those fibrils are not cemented together by any kind of paint. What we see, and this is the observation microscopically, is that the individual fibrils of the shroud are colored. To get a better understanding, we need to look at the cloth sideways on. Get the facts, get the faith. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Today we're talking about, uh, well, the Shroud of Turin. There's a great challenge that has just been put out there, a million-dollar challenge. British Museum now expanded it to the U.S. And um, can you replicate the Shroud of of Turin? If you're a scientist that's out there or anyone who can do it, it's a million dollars on the table for you. Well, today we take a look at what is really, I think, a gift from heaven for all of us, something to ponder, something to really reflect on the passion and suffering that our Lord went through for love of you and me for for our redemption. 
Uh, and with modern technology today, scientists still can't figure out how this is done, how the pigments are on there, how the image survives the way it did, uh, how the image is a negative. There's a litany of things we can go through, lots of tests. But um, scientists have looked at the shroud and what they're amazed at. And we'll talk to Denise. I think she's got a question about the blood. They're amazed at the precision of the detail, the way the wounds of Christ or the, the crucified man correspond exactly with what Scripture tells us, how Christ was put on a cross, how he was flogged and, and crucified. Indications of actual blood, the precision of how the bones were structured, how the blood flowed, the exact portrayal of how a body would be after crucifixion, the spots indicating where the crown of thorns were, the marks on the back precisely resemble what would happen with the implements that were used 2,000 years ago by the Romans when they would scourge a man. Even the fact that a computer-enhanced image of the eye, you know, when you blow it up, have uncovered what some say and I don't know, this may have been disputed that there were coins on the eye to keep them shut when they put him in there. What they claim they found was the image of a ruler who reigned at the time. I, I, I want to get clarification from Myra on that. I remember hearing that story. It's fascinating. Is it true? Does that date the shroud then to the time of Christ and not to the Middle Ages? My guest today, uh, Myra Adams, it's great to have her uh, with me this afternoon. She is uh, right now on a very important project, and that project is out to uh, create a national sh uh, national museum dedicated to uh, uh, to the Shroud. And uh, Myra, it's good to have you back. We'll get people plugged into all you're doing, but let's grab a quick phone call or two. Denise is in St. John, Indiana. We'll start with her. She's got a question for you. Denise, hi. You're on the air with Myra Adams. Hi. Thank you, Drew. You know, about I say the seven sorrows of Our Lady all the time and the last one, the burial. I always apologize or I always tell her how bad I feel that okay. that had to be the biggest insult. She couldn't wash him. And then about two months ago it dawned on me, God's providence, he didn't he didn't want him washed so that we could get the shroud. It just feels like it, it was just this inspirational thought I had. And I, you know, I think if she had washed him, would we have gotten the same negative? You know, maybe it would have showed a lot of things, but maybe not the blood. Well, interesting. Denise, thank you. We'll talk about it. We'll follow up. Great, great point. Uh, and, and Myra, let me present it to you this way, and you can unpack it. There are some who argue that Jews are not, you know, they're not buried without being cleansed. And that indicates that the blood, the dirt, evident on the burial cloth would not have been from a Jew, and Christ clearly was Jewish, right? Um, there was a, a woman named Rebecca Jackson. She's a Catholic convert who was raised in the Orthodox Jewish. Yes, I know her. Oh, so, so you're I familiar with her. her. She's an expert on early Judaism, She and she disputes the argument based on four conditions that would prevent a Jew from being cleansed uh, before the burial. She says if the person died a violent death, if he was sentenced yes, to capital right. punishment for a crime uh, of a religious nature, if he was killed by a Gentile, or if he was considered to be an outcast from the Jewish community, community that would explain it. Your your thoughts on on the blood was was the body wa uh, washed or was it not? I mean, what do we know? What's it no, revealed to it us? Was, it was not. I I agree with Rebecca on that. Yes, um, the according to Jewish burial customs, um, violent death. Um, they don't want to wash you based on that and all the other ones that she mentioned. Um, what's really important to to know about the blood is it follows the timeline of what happened 
when Jesus was taken down from the cross and then when he was resurrected on Sunday. And what scientists like to say is a shorthand is blood first, image second. Mm. So they wrapped Jesus in the shroud. He was, was bloody with all sorts of other you know, bodily fluids having to do with uh, all the tortures that uh, he endured. He's wrapped in the shroud, mm-hmm. and the blood soaks through the linen, mm-hmm. like you would expect blood. You have a bandage. It, it usually soaks through. Well, that's what happened with the blood. However, the resurrection image, if you believe that, in fact, Jesus was resurrected, and this is, in fact, is the burial shroud, um, that image sits on top of the, of the cloth. It sits on top of the, the first two microfibers. It does not penetrate the cloth. Wow. So blood first, image second, and where there's blood, there's no image. Huh. So that, but it makes huh. perfect sense when you follow the timeline. Of, I mean, you think about that. You know, people that have tried to replicate the shroud, you know, they, they do the image and they paint on the blood afterwards. No, wrong. It can't happen like that. It's blood first, image second, but that perfectly follows the timeline that we know were the events that happened wow. upon his uh, taking down from the cross. Wow, fascinating stuff. Uh, my guest, Myra Adams. And Myra, before we go back to the phones, I want to talk a little bit about some of the other things that you're you're working on right now. Because if people want to see this, well, before we talk about the, your, let me do this. Let's talk about the challenge because I threw that out okay. in in 2022. There was a challenge put out by the British Museum that basically said, "Okay, no, no, I, I must correct you okay, on that. No, please. that. That's actually not correct." So who put it the out? Challenge. Yes, the challenge was made by a very famous British documentary filmmaker named David Rowe. He is well known for the first movie that was really ever done of any notoriety on the show was called Silent Witness. It was produced in 1978. And he won a British Academy Award for that. So David Rowe is is very well known for Silent Witness. And then in 19, I'm sorry, in 2022, he did another movie called Who Can He Be? And in that movie is where he put out the challenge to the British Museum, because the British Museum are the ones that were managing the 1988 carbon dating that says, you know, it was produced between 12, 16, 13, 1390. And he decided that, okay, you know, you put this out, you 29 years later, you all had this, this research that you have never defended, you put it out there. And yet another researcher, Tristan Casabianca, uh, and his team, they determined that that uh, the data, the raw data, was was absolutely, you know, not conclusive to the date that the British Museum had said it was. But you, but the British Museum has never really come out and said, you know, sorry, you no, know, it happened like this. We're, you know, we messed up. Blah blah blah. No, it never happened like that. So David Rowe presents this challenge to them. He has a donor, and I know who that donor is. Hmm. Uh, and it's a real person, and they made this challenge in, in uh, 2022. It made it made international news. You could Google David Rowe Million Dollar Challenge in 2022, and you'll see all the press that happened because of that. But I was over in London in uh, September, yeah. and I met David, and I said to him, you know, what happened to your challenge? Did the British Museum ever respond? He said, no. I said, well, why don't we, why don't we open this up to the United States? And so he said, well, I have to ask my donor. So the donor said, okay, and we developed the National Shroud of Turin exhibit. Uh, we're promoting it. We're wow. promoting the challenge. Wow. Okay, we're not sponsoring it. We're not paying the money. National Shroud of Turin exhibit is sponsoring, not sponsoring, we're promoting David Rogue's challenge. And that's when we had our 
uh, press conference February 8th in Washington, D.C., following the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast. So now we put this out there. If you go to whocanhebe.com, uh, it, will, it will take you to the, the challenge, uh, the new challenge expanded to the United States. And when you read through the criteria, you, you realize that it is not only can modern science not replicate the shroud, but how did this Middle Ages forger do it? So why can't some enterprising grad students at some you know, top university you know, why shouldn't they be able to do it? It's since it's a Middle Ages fraud. Yeah, right. Well, you read through the criteria uh, that are on the website, uh, you you see that it is uh, it's nearly impossible. It, is, it will be impossible to replicate the shroud, but we're going to you know put it out there anyway. The challenge is out there. Um, so far, it's my understanding, we haven't had any takers. They have about four months to apply. Oh, wow. uh, but then, you know, we'll see what happens. We, you know, we, we're helping promote this because we just believe it just shows that the shroud is this world's greatest mystery that science cannot figure out with measurable criteria that cannot be reproduced, not even using modern day technology, never mind technology that was available in the Middle Ages. And of course, that's one of the criteria that the all the, the criteria you have to have Middle Ages technology to satisfy this criteria also. So you have this whole situation that we're doing, and we hope to bring attention to what we're trying to do, which is to build a national Shroud of Turin exhibit in Washington, D.C., and we're trying to raise money for that. If any of your, your listeners want to go to nationalshroudofturinexhibit.org and, and donate, we'd appreciate that. And uh, we are very optimistic that uh, we are going to raise the money and we are going to build this Shroud exhibit. Well, I, Jesus, we trust in you. That's I, really our, that's our motto. That's mine, too. I love that. Um, you know, here's the thing. I think that donor's money's safe. <laughs> you know, I don't think anyone is going to come close to mastering this. Uh, if people want to go to the uh, the exhibit, what are the best websites to get plugged into? Well, our our exhibit uh, it does not exist yet. We actually have our only mini exhibit is currently has been there for a year at the Catholic Information Center in Washington D.C. Okay. And uh, it's been there a year. Uh, it, actually, that's going to be ending in the, at the end of February. So what's nationalshroudofturinexhibit.org? Is that a website that exists or no? Yes, it's a website. Oh, yes, that's our website. Okay, you so can, people, people can, can check that website, out then, right? Yeah. Check that out. And also go to signfromgod.org, which, which is our 501c3. Okay. Our group started at, signfromgod. at signfromgod.org. We were helping to spearhead the exhibit that the Museum of the Bible had about the shroud. Oh, cool that ran from February 2022 to July 2022. Right. And the museum decided they didn't want to do a permanent exhibit, so that's how our group, National Shroud of Turin Exhibit, uh, began. Yeah. And so now we just believe yeah. that there needs to be a permanent shroud exhibit in Washington, D.C. The Museum of the Bible's exhibit was the most popular exhibit they ever had. Shroud will be uh, huge. So based it, on that. It'll yeah. be huge. If you can get that to, to happen, that'll be fantastic. Let's oh, do this. We will. Let's we take will. Let's take a few more calls. We can talk more. If you yeah. want to join us, I only have my guest for a few more minutes. Time flies in this broadcast. The number is 888-914-9149. Francine is in Chicago, Illinois. She's got a comment for you. Hi, uh, Francine. You're on with Meyer Adams. Hi. I don't remember the name of the man who said he was so shocked when it occurred to him that Jesus had to be standing erect yeah. uh, at the moment of resurrection because the back was not flat. Dr. Gillivoy. Okay. Anybody lying on a slab for three days is going to have a flattened back. It's my theory, <laughs> I'm no expert, 
that um, Jesus very well could have been resurrected as soon as the stone was rolled in front of the opening of the tomb and not three days later. Okay, so he would have disappeared from the... He would have left the shroud and had gone to, you know, visit the dead uh, before ascending. Um, Myra, your thoughts? Um, that everyone is entitled to their own opinion. Um, I think, you know, they call it three days. I, yeah. I guess it's not exactly three 24-hour periods, but um, that is the, the three days he rose from the dead. I, I believe that it was yeah. uh, not instantly... Um, I believe it was, in fact, on Resurrection Resurrection yeah. Sunday. That, uh, but everyone is entitled to their own opinion. I mean, there, there are, when it comes to the shroud, you know, you can believe what you believe. If the Lord's telling you that something that you know isn't the common belief, then that's okay. Uh, what, what Gil Lavoie is doing, he wrote a book about this. He's one of my team members. In fact, you can go to our website, org. You can click on, you know, who we are, our team members. And you'll see his bio there. So he, he's one of our people. Um, you know, a lot of people in my group uh, have different opinions about things, but, but that's okay. We all love the shroud. Yeah. We all want to educate people about the shroud. That's really our, that's our goal. Yeah. And that's the whole point why we want to have this exhibit, this education yeah. about the shroud. Yeah, his findings uh, are pretty amazing. His, his book is a great read if anyone wants to check it out. Judy is in Scottsdale, Arizona. She's got a comment for you. Myra, hi, Judy. Hello. Okay. Hi. I'm here. So, Hello? Yeah, hi, Judy. Go right ahead. Hi, Judy. Hello? Judy, I'm going to give you another shot. Can you hear us? I can hear you. Then go right ahead. We can, can hear, hear you, you, too. We can hear you. Go right ahead with your comment. My question is, what about artificial intelligence being able to um, replicate the shroud? All right. Hey, thank you, Judy. Appreciate it. I'll let uh, Myra respond to that. You have certain yes, requirements, yeah, right? That, that certainly is one of, one of the uh, things I'm very, very interested in. Uh, we don't know yet how it's all going to pan out, but I think it has great possibilities. And um, all I can say for that is watch the space. Yeah. Uh, artificial intelligence, I think, is, is really going to change so many things in our world. Yeah, me too. Um, and certainly, you know, we, we will be able to learn things about the shroud that um, yeah. we currently don't know, if, in fact, it is allowed to be tested. You know, there's, yeah. there's no hands-on. Uh, testing going on. I mean, testing that's done right now has to do with people have a little strand here and there that they had, and, you know, they're supposed to even return to Turin, but there's no hands-on testing. That's really important to understand. One thing I'd just like to say in general, that I think that technology is a friend of the shroud. And it really points to artificial intelligence, I think will be a friend to the shroud. And when I say, when I say that, that technology is a friend to the shroud, Look at the timeline. You have in 1898, photography was really in its infancy. And what happened? We got the, the positive image that really changed the way people view the shroud out of that positive image where we so, can so clearly see the wounds of Jesus that are, that are replicated, that we you know, learn in the Bible, reflected in the gospel. We also got the holy face. Because if you look at the shroud with your naked eye, you see the face. But when you look at the holy face that came out as a result of the photography in 1898, you see something that just speaks to you in a way that, that you could meditate it and pray about it for, you know, for days and hours because it is so intense. That face has a countenance to it that just penetrates your soul. So that's one thing that happened. And then, of course, in the 70s, you had the 
You had the, the VP8 analyzer that discovered that uh, the shroud was a 3D image, yep. and that's where we get a lot of the modeling that that um, that we have with the shroud yep. today. And then, you know, now we, we just have so yeah. many different tools that are not yeah. being utilized. Well, I, I love it. I have to take a short break. Um, we can talk much more when I come back as well. But I'm with you. Technology is not the enemy of this. I think it's going to it's going to do wonders. Uh, artificial intelligence might be able to present new theories or give us new revelations. 3D printing. Can you imagine what we might actually see? There was a documentary called The Face of Christ. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm sure you're yeah. probably familiar with that. I'd love to talk to you about yeah. that because the image that they portray, people yeah. look at this negative and they think that's what Christ looked like. But this particular doc, the, the researchers who worked on this other documentary said he looked a little bit different than what we think he looked like on that. And maybe we could talk about that when I come back as well. Uh, we've got to take a short pause. We're going to be back. 888-914-9149, the final moments of the Drew Mariani Show. Straight ahead. The Drew Mariani Show. Hi, Drew. Thank you. Thank you for your show. This is the Drew Mariani Show. Marvelous show on the radio right now. On Relevant Radio. Hey, join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at relevantradio.com slash Poland. That's relevantradio.com slash Poland. But a simple look at the image of the face shows that contacts between the body and the cloth alone could not have formed the image. The eye sockets and the other recesses of the body, as well as the hair at the side, would never have been in direct contact with the body. Get the facts, get the faith. This is the Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. It's great to be with you. If you missed any of our conversation, check out the, uh, the podcasts available at Relevant Radio or your podcasts are downloaded. Fascinating conversation today about the Shroud of Turin and a million-dollar challenge that has been put out to see if anybody can replicate it. Uh, we'll see if that's taken up. Uh, a lot of people dispute the Shroud, as you know. Some say it's a, a forged Middle Age, uh, you know, hoax. I, I don't believe that at all. Uh, it's in, so much evidence points against it being from the Middle Ages, right? So much of it. Problem with carbon dating is that the shroud was through two fires up to that point, which scorched the linen. Of course, that skewed it. Radiocarbon dating uh, has, you know, has been suspect to begin with, but um, scientists love to throw dates out. Uh, what we're seeing on this is a mystery, Mystery of how the image got on there. I, there's so much evidence points to the fact that it probably dates all the way back to the, the time of Christ. And I'm joined by somebody today who's uh, working very hard to try to go ahead and to establish a National Shroud of Torrent exhibit. And I think this would be so cool if it happens in Washington, D.C. You can learn more about what they're doing at the National Shroud of Torin exhibit.org. And Myra, before we jump to the phones, let me just quickly ask you about I think it was Downing, Downing, a gentleman who did a documentary. I saw it on the History Channel. It used to run mm -hmm. all the time. Yeah. I want to say it's the face of Christ. I know that's not the right name for it. Um, you probably it's are familiar with it. Face. The real yeah. face. The real face of Jesus? Question mark. So he did. He used mathematics. He, he, you know, he took a mathematical model looking at how the shroud would lay over a uh, a, a body, and then was able to actually reveal what the face of Christ might have looked like. You know, he, he yes. created a 3D yes. image of it. 
and it's a lot different than what people think it is. And and even of other images I've seen recreated, I know there's got to be a little bit of artistic creativity in that. W what do we know about that? And what other reincarnations of what Christ looked like, his body, his scourging, all that have been done? Mm -hmm. and, and where can people see those? Well, in Ray Downey's case, Ray is a graphic artist. And he is known for doing 3D modeling of uh, famous people. So on his presidents and things like that. So when he worked with The Shroud, it was a documentary he did, I think it was in 2010, mm -hmm. uh, on the History Channel. In fact, several of my, my team members were actually in that. And Ray yeah, is a friend great. of mine. Uh, and, and his big thing is that is to make this face that I literally have it on my screensaver on my computer. So I'm always looking at what I believe is the face of Jesus. That's awesome. But what Ray did, but keep in mind, what, what Ray did is really important because he, he made the face of Jesus before he was resurrected and tormented and, and, and had died. So there has to be uh, you know, a big difference between the face that we see mm -hmm. on the positive image of the shroud, that beautiful holy face yeah. that, we, that we say that, that was hidden in the shroud, yep. you know, didn't get revealed until 1898 when photography came about. But that face is, a, is different than what Ray came up with because the face that Ray came up with is the living face. Right. So he took some, some creative license, but he also did it based on, on the, the scientific properties of, of the dimensions of the, the, the face that was in the shroud, and then modeled it based on the fact that the face was lying down. And so you're gonna have a little bit of distortion. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you, if you sleep and you take a selfie when you're sleeping, it's gonna look different than if you're standing up. So there's a little bit of distortion there. So he took some of that creative license and he revealed what was a very famous documentary. It ran for many, many years. Uh, but also what happened recently is, this ties into what we're doing with the Million Dollar Challenge. It was based on a movie that David wrote, a documentary filmmaker from the UK, uh, produced in 2022. At the end of that movie, he has a very chilling uh, clip. In fact, we showed it at a press conference on February 8th after the National Catholic Prayer Breakfast. We showed that clip, and what it shows is Christ rising from the from the shroud. The front and the back images, how they fit together, absolutely perfectly. So you can go to whokinnebe.com, and you can download that movie, and you'll see at the very end how those images come together so yeah. perfectly. And that, of course, is one of the mysteries too. Yeah. How could the quote-unquote yeah. Middle Ages forger? produced a front and back mirror image that has no deviation whatsoever wow. when the front and back is married together. Wow. I mean, nobody so could cool. do that. It would be impossible. Yeah, but you see that live in the, wow. in the movie. So it's, it's quite astounding, some of the things that, uh, you know, you learn if you, you know, study the shroud. As yep. you say, you know, the shroud yep. is the first selfie. You know, I, we love to say that. A lot of kids love, I always laugh, you know, when they say it. But you think about it, it really is true. It was the first selfie. So, you know, anyone that says, oh, it's a fake, just say, well, you know, it's the first selfie. Well, and, you know, explain how that happened in, uh, you know, in Middle Ages. I know, I love it. It's absolutely amazing. There's so much to talk about. I only have a minute or two left. I, I do want to talk about the NEC. You and I were talking about that during the break, the National Eucharistic uh -huh. Congress. I know you're going to be there. Relevant Radio is going to be there. I hope people get their packages and come out and uh, participate in, in that Congress. I, I'm going to give you the final minute that I have here. So go right ahead, Myra, anything you want to share. Okay, thank you. Yes, we, um, my group, National Shroud of Turn Exhibit, we will have an exhibit, an actual shroud exhibit uh, that's going to be uh, extremely worthwhile to come visit. 
It's going to be in the convention center at the National Eucharistic Congress. We're going to be in the same place as Treasures of the Vatican. And I think there's another exhibit there about Eucharistic miracles, which, by the way, Eucharistic miracles always have the same blood as what they found on the shroud, which is type AB. So anyway, we're going to be there. Uh, My group's going to be there. We're going to have um, lots of information about the shroud. We'll have an exhibit. We're also going to have some educational programs. There'll be some speaking programs about the shroud. So we'll be there July 17th to the 21st in the convention center. And uh, we look forward to talking to you on uh, Element Radio and and, uh, we're all going to have an amazing time of uh, yeah, worshiping it's be great. the Lord. Well, we'll we'll, we'll, connect, we'll connect there for sure. It'll be fantastic, and I hope everyone will check out your website. Myra, thank you for being with us. Keep up your good work, okay? Thank you for having me. Bless we'll catch you. Up. God bless you. That's uh, Myra Adams. Uh, check out those websites. Watch that video and say a prayer that this uh, exhibit becomes a reality. I think it would be fantastic. And, you know, you ought to meditate on the passion of our Lord. It's a great power that comes with that. A lot of promises the Lord has revealed to St. Faustine and a lot of other saints. Hey, I'm out of time for the day. If you missed this, hit the podcast, okay? Tell others about the show. Join me for the chaplet every day. Father Rocky for the rosary. Tell our past cross, I'll pray for you. Say a prayer for me. Remember, God loves you. So do I. Have a great day.